Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, March 24th, and this is your FT News Briefing. An investment deal between the EU and China that's taken years to negotiate is now on the rocks. Mark Zuckerberg prepares to face questions from U.S. lawmakers about online misinformation, and we'll look at the problem of fake Facebook accounts. And the giant asset management group BlackRock is under pressure to live up to its promises on diversity. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, in for Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. An EU-China market access deal was meant to be the cornerstone of future relations between Brussels and Beijing. Now, a diplomatic dispute has put that deal at risk. Last week, the EU, together with the UK, the US, and Canada, imposed sanctions on China because of its persecution of Muslim Uyghurs. On Monday, China retaliated. It announced sanctions on members of the European Parliament. Now, the EU's trade policy chief has warned China that its decision to escalate this dispute could threaten the bilateral investment deal. Facebook chief executive Mark Zuckerberg will be on Capitol Hill tomorrow, along with the CEOs of Twitter and Google. They'll face questions from U.S. lawmakers about online misinformation. For Facebook, a big problem is fake accounts. The FT's Elaine Moore has been reporting on this for years, and she found it was incredibly easy to set up a fake account. It's also quite easy to buy fake accounts on Facebook. We did an investigation and we tried to buy collections of fake accounts and they were cheap. They were just cents on the dollar. We let Facebook know after our piece had been published about the accounts that we had bought and those were taken down. But some of the others that we were looking at at the time still exist. And do you see this as related to the political backlash that Facebook is facing? I do, but it's a strange one. The 1.3 billion accounts that Facebook is taking down, it's taking those down mostly at the point of creation. But the number is huge. If you think that Facebook says that it has 2.8 billion monthly active users, 1.3 billion fake accounts is a gigantic problem. But there's a separate problem as well, which is aside from those 1.3 billion fake accounts that Facebook has taken down, it also admits that up to 16% of the 2.8 billion monthly active users that it's talking about are not authentic. So they might be duplicates, or they might be bots, or they might be accounts that have been set up for misinformation or disinformation. 16% of total users is huge. And if you think about the fact that Facebook is an advertising company, that's where all the money comes from, practically. And that advertising money comes from the scale of the users. And if 16% of those users are not authentic accounts, that's a problem. You know, I'm curious about advertisers. Like, are they talking about the fact that they're paying a lot to reach an audience that isn't actually there? They're really not. And I think there's an incentive for a lot of people who are paid to conduct these kinds of marketing campaigns to not question this. And Elaine, what about investors? Are they talking about this? It's not something that investors talk about very much. Facebook is still increasing sales. Sales rose 22% last year. The company is still saying that it can expand its user growth. So at the moment, there's no particular incentive to raise this as a problem. You know, it sounds like there are a lot of financial consequences for Facebook if it was faster at removing bank accounts, and maybe it'll be up to the politicians instead of investors to make this decision. What do you think? I think that's right. It is spending more money on trying to address fake or false or duplicate accounts. 
But I think you're right. I don't think this is a question that investors are particularly incentivized to ask. And I think that it's regulators and it's politicians who are showing much more scrutiny towards Facebook at the moment. Elaine Moore is the deputy head of Lex. Elaine, thank you so much. Thank you so much. The CEO of BlackRock has been vocal about making his workforce more diverse and inclusive. That's what attracted Esma Bengabsia. She started working there full-time in 2018, and she says that soon after, the microaggressions began. For example, I didn't participate in a Christmas holiday sweater party, and then one of uh, the other senior traders on on the floor had called me the Grinch and told me that I wasn't acting American uh, because of it. Uh, It then later came up again in my year-end review. I was told I wasn't a team player because I didn't participate in in this team holiday party and that uh, the optics of that didn't look good. From there, Bengabsia said it became unbearable, and she eventually left. Last month, she published an open letter detailing her experience, and she launched a petition to end discrimination at the group. That petition has received more than 10,000 signatures. The FT's Aziza Kazumov spoke to Bengabsia and others to find out what it's like for some employees at BlackRock, and she's with me now. Hi, Aziza. Hi, thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came across Esma and her story? Yeah, so I've known Esma as a source for one or two years now, and I saw that she, on February 1st, came out with this Medium post titled Hashtag Me Too at BlackRock. She was talking about the sort of racial discrimination, the discrimination on the grounds of her gender and her religion that she faced at the firm. Where did the reporting go from there? I saw that you interviewed 12 current and former employees with diverse backgrounds. Yeah, so I, I, I spoke to Esma right after the post went up. And um, from there on, I just did sort of a big outreach and tried to contact as many people as possible who are in the LGBTQ community or who are people of color who work at the firm to hear about whether they've experienced similar things at the firm. And um, it turns out they have. You know, Larry Fink, uh, the CEO at BlackRock, is known to be sort of a champion of diversity. And I'm curious, like, how diverse BlackRock is as a workforce, what their diversity goals are. Why do I think that he's a champion of diversity? So Larry Fink has really championed this idea on Wall Street that companies should be, quote unquote, linking profit and purpose. But, you know, if you look at the diversity data internally, um, the firm is struggling to some degree, not necessarily more or less than other financial institutions, but it's not super diverse. Like they, they set these diversity goals for 2024 where they want to increase a black representation among director level and above from 3% to 6%. But, you know, if you look at the general U.S. population, I think 13% of Americans are black or African-American. So that would still be obviously less than half of uh, the general population. So how did BlackRock respond then to Esma's post and the petition? Yeah, so BlackRock has sent out a couple of internal memos to its global workforce since Esma's post went up and the petition was launched and she co-wrote an open letter to the CEO where they're sort of acknowledging that the, the conduct described in the reports are sort of falling short of the inclusive culture BlackRock strives for. But on the other hand, they also made a point at saying, this is not what the company stands for. This is not who BlackRock is. And um They've detailed some action items since they have um, announced that they will be overhauling the process of how they investigate employee concerns, for example. And then on Monday, after we we published our story, uh, they announced that they'll be hiring an outside law firm to conduct an internal review into um, the sort of allegations of employee misconduct at the firm. 
do the people who signed the petition or the people that you spoke to, do they feel that this is not who BlackRock is? I mean, the people I've spoken to really say that there is this sort of larger cultural problem at the company where there's all this branding and sort of publicity around them trying to be more diverse. And they do have these programs in place as well, where they're trying to, you know, recruit employees of color and employees from diverse backgrounds. So the company is implementing all these programs, but then folks are saying that within the firm itself, there's a culture where you know, microaggressions and offensive comments are often tolerated. And where even when employees do complain to HR, sometimes there there is sort of a lack of action taken. Aziza Kazimov is our U.S. equities correspondent. Aziza, thank you so much for joining. Of course. There's a battle going on in Britain over the fate of a famous pub. The Guinness Book of World Records deems the Old Forge the most remote pub in mainland Britain. If you want a pint there, you're going to need to hike for one or two days through the Noidart Peninsula in Scotland's West Highlands. Earlier this year, the owner put the Old Forge up for sale. Locals were already frustrated that he wasn't keeping it open year-round, so they came up with a plan to save the pub. To them, this pub represents what the region represents— community, nature, and freedom from the stress of modern life. They put in a bid for community ownership. And if it succeeds, about a third of local residents say they're willing to volunteer their time to keep that pub open year-round. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back in tomorrow for the latest business news. Visit bankofamerica.com/banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, NA, copyright 2024.